Nosephatiah, the son of Atan, Gedaliah, the son of Peshur, Juko, the son of Jeremiah, and Peshur, the son of Malachiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city, and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek, does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Hezekiah the king said, Look, he is in your hand, for the king shall do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malachiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes in the dungeon. There was no water but myrrh. So Jeremiah sank in the myrrh. Okay. So here you've got some more guys that are not happy with Jeremiah. These are some of the officials, some of the advisors, and so forth. Now, the message of Jeremiah was very plain. Basically, what's Jeremiah's message here? Give it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Surrender. Why? Yeah. I mean, man. And probably not in a very pleasant way. You know, sword, famine, disease, doesn't sound very good. But if you surrender and go out to the Babylonians, what's the advantage? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you'll get booty, your life. You know, that's the only way to live. Stay in, you die. Surrender, you live. That's Jeremiah's message, pretty simple. But how does that seem to these uh, officials that are against Jeremiah. How do they see his message? Weakening the yeah. army? Yeah, exactly. Zapping the morale of the war effort. You know, when you're at war, you don't want somebody saying, oh, we're going to get defeated. <laughs> you know, might as well surrender. We would call that what? Treason. That's exactly right. That's treason. You know, that is working against the public interest. You know, and, and uh, you know, in the time of war, you know, sometimes there's martial law. You know, you can't have some treasonous prophet telling everybody, just go ahead and surrender. So that's the way these uh, officials feel. They see Jeremiah as sort of an agitator that's trying to get him to surrender, which he was, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And, uh, well, that's they come to the king, and they say he's discouraging the war effort. He's not seeking the welfare of these people, but rather their harm. So what does Zedekiah say to these officials? I can't do anything to stop you. Yeah, okay. He's yours. Do anything you want to with him. Zedekiah is back and forth, back and forth. So what do they end up doing here with Jeremiah? Throwing in the cistern. Yeah. The cistern, I'm taking this as sort of a deep pit, like a well or something, that, that is not like have water in the bottom, it has like mud and muck in the bottom. And so they lower him with ropes into the bottom of this pit and it's mud, and it kind of sinks, sinks down into the mud. What would living conditions like be in a situation like this? Terrible. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? It's going to be dark, <coughs> damp. It's going to have a very foul odor. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, what do you do for exercise? <laughs> you know, wow, you would think you wouldn't just, you just wouldn't even live long in a situation like that. That's just going to be, be about the most unpleasant thing you could ever imagine. Wow. Can't, ah, shoot. You hope you, he wasn't claustrophobic. <laughs> you know, that would be bad. So that's where he ends up, right here. And, and you know, it's, it's that constant effort to try to just eliminate the message, and that way you don't have to face the truth. People do that. They get mad because somebody teaches them the Word of God correctly. Well, it's not the preacher's fault. Just go ahead and get mad at God if that's what you want to do. You know, shutting somebody up who's telling you what the truth is doesn't change the truth. It's so foolish to do that, but that's exactly what they're doing. Now, there is a play on a word here. Actually, this goes all through this chapter and section. Uh, For example, in verse 3, this city will certainly be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon. In verse 4, now let this man be put to death inasmuch as he is weakening the hands of the men of war. I have discouraging, but in the margin it's literally weakening the hands. So it can be given in the hand, he's weakening the hands. Verse 5, behold, he's in your hand. <laughs> you know, and all through this chapter, there's a lot of emphasis on the hand. That's kind of a, a kind of a play on that word or that idea, for whatever that's worth. But it's kind of interesting if you follow it all the way through this chapter. Thoughts and comments on these first six verses. Sarah. So is so the the Gedaliah Gedaliah is the son of Pashur. Pashur is the son of Melchijah and it is the cistern of Melchijah the king's son. So is this Zedekiah's grandson and great-grandson who are doing this, or is this a different Melchijah, Peshur, Fred, and Henry? I'll tell you, there are so many duplicate names in Jeremiah. It doesn't seem likely to me that this is Zedekiah's grandson, because if I'm not mistaken, he was 32 when he got taken to Babylon. His grandson would hardly be old enough for this. But yeah, Man, you got you got so many of those duplicate names that it becomes challenging to have much idea who's who. I don't really know the answer to all that. But. Other comments or questions? Do you think there's any like significance to them deciding to put them in a system? Like, were they just trying to find the worst punishment? Why wouldn't they just kill them, get them out of the way? That's a very good question. Uh, I think they were trying to find the worst punishment. Uh, maybe they don't think Zedekiah would go for killing him. I mean, that might be one thing. Uh, maybe they'd rather torture him than kill him. The hand of the Lord is with him, too. John? Maybe to torture him until he changes his mind on the... That'd be an idea. Yeah, to get him to start preaching the opposite, even. Um, it could also be, even if the, the whole populace hasn't listened to him, then, but they still know he's a man of God. If they kill him, then most of, most of the people are going to go, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Sometimes you don't want to kill a guy like that because you don't want to make a martyr and have a cause for everybody to rally to. It seems like just kind of a, you know, a shady way to get rid of him, too. You throw him in a cistern, nobody's going to go looking for him. Any yeah. bodies down there. Yeah. It's a... It's a less uh, dramatic form of disposing of him. It's similar to what happened to Joseph when he was thrown into a pit temporarily by his brothers. Uh Uh-huh. There's a little parallel there. They might not have known exactly what they wanted to do, how they wanted to do it, so they stuck him in a nasty place for a while. It's a pitiful existence. It's a very pitiful existence. Shot. This is just a weird comment. How would he sleep? He would just have to be laying on the... Mud, muck. Maybe you sit. Standing or sitting in the mud, depending on how deep the mud was. You know, in a 
be able to get out of it or away from it. And didn't they have to... It took a bit of effort to get him out. Yes, it will take some effort to get him out. <laughs> yeah. I probably spent most of this time trying not to sink farther. Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, you don't do anything, or you, you stay, spread eagle. You stay still, and you spread your body weight out. I imagine. Yeah, it just sounds like about the most disgusting place you could ever reside. You know, but the rent was cheap there. <laughs> Other thoughts? Well, seven to thirteen. But Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch, while he was in the king's palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. Now the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin. And Ebed-Melech went out from the king's palace and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the cistern. And he will die right where he is because of the famine. There is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take thirty men from here under your authority, and bring up Jeremiah the prophet from the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the, the men under his authority, and went into the king's palace to a place beneath the storeroom, and took from there worn-out clothes and worn-out rags, and let them down by ropes into the cistern to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Now put these worn-out clothes and rags under your armpits under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled up Jeremiah with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah stayed in the court of the, of the guardhouse. So, you've got this Ethiopian eunuch. Did you know there was one in the Old Testament too? Abed Malik. Uh... Who finds out that Jeremiah's been put in the cistern? Now it's sad that the man who sympathizes with Jeremiah and manages to uh, get permission to get him out isn't even a Jew. He's a foreigner. You know that, that's that's kind of uh, you know discouraging. He's sort of the good Samaritan of this story. You know Jesus tells the story, and the hero is not even a true Jew. That's kind of the same situation here. He knows about Jeremiah's plight, so he goes to Zedekiah and talks to him and says, Look, you know, look at what they've done. You know, he's going to die because of the famine. I'd say there might be other things that would finish him off first, but whatever. You know, he's going to be in there and die. And so Ebed-Melech is pleading with Zedekiah to let him go save Jeremiah's life. He reopens this case. And what's Zedekiah's response? Sure. What do you see in, see in Zedekiah? He'll do anything you ask. Yeah. Does Zedekiah make any independent decisions without first being pushed by somebody? And, and, and what he does usually depends on who's the last person who talked to him, right? You know, he is wishy-washy, indecisive, you know, he's, he's the epitome of this double-minded man. man. So he gave the order that they could put him in there, now he gives the order from Evan Malik to take him out. Evan Malik plus what? 30 men. Was, was Jeremiah stuck that bad? Or were they expecting uh, some opponents they were going to have to overcome? And was there guard at the, the, the well? I don't know. Uh, it seems like a lot. And uh, before Eben Melek gets him out, he uh, rummages through the storeroom to find what? What does he need those for? Yes. You know, he's got ropes he's going to lower down, but he has Jeremiah put these, you know, rags and cloths and so forth, you know, like I guess in his armpits to where the ropes aren't going to cut into him so badly. That was really thoughtful. That was a pretty sharp idea on Ibn Malik's part. And uh, so, you know, he's, they, they bring him up from the pit and, and really rescue his life. I mean, they hadn't been for that. You do reckon that Jeremiah would, would have died fairly quickly. And uh, so, that he stays now back in the court of the guardhouse, which is the place where he had asked permission to go earlier. Thoughts and comments? Did it say how long he was in the well? It doesn't. I don't think so. 
You would think not too long, or he wouldn't have made it. Well, it'd have to be long enough for a foreigner to randomly find out, oh, Jeremiah's in a... True, though I'm guessing Abimelech is living in that area, or at least staying there for a while. But yeah. You might think about, there are so many passages, particularly in the Psalms, that talk about God, you know, bringing us up out of the pit, out of the mire, and things like that. You know, several Psalms that describe, you know, being overwhelmed and suffering as being down in the pit and God delivering us. Other thoughts? Elizabeth? Do you know why they added the whole rabbit part? Because that doesn't seem very important to the story. It's like, oh, and he grabbed some rags to cushion his arms. Well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that's kind of one of those details that doesn't really change the story. So why did he mention it? Uh, you have some things like that in Bible narratives. You know, what happens when you tell a story? You know, does every detail that you mention, is it essential to the point of the story? No. Sometimes, if, if it's a story, especially we're an eyewitness of, sometimes we add some unessential details because we're just telling a story like we remember it. Now, if there is a point to it, I wonder if it's not just the compassion and the thoughtfulness. That, you know, he's not just rescuing him as far as getting him out of the pit, but he's doing it in a way that's sensitive to how he's going to feel. That seems, you know, like a reasonable uh, thing to do and maybe a good lesson for us, you know, to try to uh, be sensitive, you know, to people's needs and, and so forth. Other thoughts? might also show that he's not, like everyone else, just wanting to manipulate him back to his will, but he's actually caring about the prophet, not just who the prophet stands for. Yeah. Good point. Do we hear of Eved Melech later on, or is this all we know about him? I don't believe... Let me think about that a second. Is there a... Oh, wait, yeah, we do. There is a, in chapter 39, the end of it, yeah, you got 39, 15 to 18. Yeah, that's the other thing. I wonder why the eunuch didn't, like, help Jeremiah to, like, just go away, help him to escape, that he put him back into the, the guard's court. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean... I'm assuming that may be Zedekiah as well. He's not saying he can loose him from prison together but put him in better living conditions. You know, there are moments in which you wonder if this isn't safer for him than being out, too. It's almost maybe a semi-protective custody kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I bet he was thinking about those songs. Yeah. I would have been. Yeah, or, or maybe Joseph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's just a lot of uh, you know. You can see Joseph and Jeremiah sort of models of being brought up from the pit. So when you read a lot of those psalms and things, you can go back to those as literal illustrations, and then think about our figurative pits that the Lord brings us up out of. Other thoughts? I'm just. I'm wondering. When Ebed Melech says, My Lord the King, these men have acted wickedly um, because they cast him in a, into a cistern. And I'm like, So what would they, would. they originally went to him and said, Hey, he needs to die, so let us kill him, more or less. And the king says, Do what you want, he's in your hands. And so it's like, instead of just outright killing him, they throw him in a pit to take care of the problem. And I'm like, so did he not think that they were going to kill him? That question didn't make any sense, did it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't quite follow it. So. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. That was the one saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't know. It's, it struck me as like instead of just killing Jeremiah outright, they threw him into a, a cistern, and in that way, Evan Melek was saying, "You acted wickedly against Jeremiah by not killing him." Well, I think acted wickedly by by you know putting him in such terrible conditions. Just the whole. Seizing him and saying, "Look, he's bad, and let's do evil things to him." Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're putting him in this place where he's going to die, and terrible torture. That's that's what I'm seeing. Is you know, they shouldn't have done that to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's a prophet of God. You know, he is getting punished in this way because he's told the truth. That's what I think. Other thoughts. I think, and I think he would have said that they acted wickedly even if they had killed him. It's just the fact that he's still alive, so we, he can still do something about it. Right. That's why he is. I would agree. Anything else? All right. 14 to 23. Then King Zedekiah sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I am going to ask you something. Do not hide anything from me. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I tell you, will you not certainly put me to death? Besides, if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. But King Zedekiah swore to Jeremiah in secret, saying, As the Lord lives, who made this life for us, surely I will not put you to death, nor will I give you over to the hand of these men who are seeking your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you will indeed go out to the officers of the king of Babylon, then you will live. The city will not be burned with fire, and you and your household will survive. But if you will not go out to the officers of the king of Babylon, then this city will be given over to the hands of the Chaldeans, and they will burn it with fire, and you yourself will not escape from their hand. Then King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I dread the Jews who have gone over to the Chaldeans, for they may give me over into their hand, and they will abuse me. But Jeremiah said, They will not give you over. Please obey the Lord in what I am saying to you, that it may go well with you, and you may live. But if you keep refusing to go out, this is the word which the Lord has shown me. Then behold, all of the women who have been left in the palace of the king of Judah are going to be brought out to the officers of the king of Babylon. And those women will say, Your close friends have misled and overpowered you. While your feet were sunk in the mire, they turned back. They will also bring out all your wives and your sons to the Chaldeans, and you yourself will not escape from their hand but will be seized by the hand of the king of Babylon, and this city will be burned with fire. Wow. Zedekiah is just amazing. You know, he brings Jeremiah to him and says, I really want you not to hide anything from me. You know, really tell me the truth. Where is Zedekiah at? He is back and forth. He is a committed waffler. You know... And Jeremiah is reluctant. You know, he says, well, look, if I tell you, you'll kill me. If I give you advice, you won't even listen to me. I mean, that's not going to do any good. I mean, Zedekiah has not got a very good track record as far as uh, treating Jeremiah well and paying attention to what he says. He always ignores his messages. Zedekiah says, no, I swear to you. I will not put you to death, and I won't give you over into the hand of the ones who are seeking to kill you. You know, and so Jeremiah says, okay, here's what God says. If you surrender, you'll live. The city won't be burned, and you all will survive. If you don't go out uh, to Babylon, if you don't surrender, the city will be captured by the Babylonians, burned with fire, and they'll capture you too. There it is. That's the message. Surrender or else. Pretty simple message. Well, what's uh, Zedekiah's answer? I'm scared. Of? The Jews who have already gone over. Who will torture me and do terrible things to me if I surrender. 
Now, you know, the question of what other people are going to think or do to us is never a very good way of determining what we ought to do. You know, that you don't live responsibly just thinking, well, let's see, if I do this, this might happen. Hey, you just think about what's the right thing to do. So, what Jeremiah says, no, if, the, if you surrender to the Chaldeans, they won't give you into the hands of the Jews they've captured. That's not going to happen. And you just need to obey the Lord. But if you don't, even the women who are left in the palace are going to ridicule you for being weak. They're going to say, your close friends have misled and overpowered you while your feet were sunk in the mire. They turned back. It's kind of ironic. You know, they're going to ridicule Zedekiah for being stuck in the mud. <laughs> you know, with no Ebed Melech to rescue him. So, much better for him to surrender. The consequences will be better. That's what God's saying through Jeremiah. But Zedekiah, who wants to hear the word of the Lord, doesn't really have enough trust in God to change his behavior because of the message. It's one of those things that doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're not going to listen, why do you want to hear it? Isn't that, isn't that an, a, a kind of a weird thing? To want to listen to the message if you're really not going to pay attention to it? What would be, what do you think Zedekiah's motivation was for seemingly always wanting to hear it? Hoping for a change in the I think so. I think, you know, wanting some reassurance and grasping at straws is almost also haunted by it. And I think it's, it's working on his conscience. I mean, in some ways, he's got to believe this is the word of the Lord. It, it keeps coming true every single time. Thoughts and comments on this? Right. I find it interesting that his worry is to be given over into the Jews over in Babylon, but like, if he does surrender, but Jeremiah says if, if he doesn't surrender, basically he's just stuck with the Jews he's already with who are going to ridicule him. Right. He's got yeah. more to fear from the Jews where he's at than the Jews he's thinking about. Exactly. He hears it, but then he never acts on it. He sort of believes it's the word of the Lord, but if he's really so worried, why doesn't he do what the Lord says? We're, we're, we, we contradict ourselves sometimes. There are people today who like to hear strong preaching that makes them feel guilty. Because I think because they feel like if their toes get good and stepped on, then they've almost paid their punishment. You know, then they feel like it's okay. Uh, but it's like, well, if, if, if you never change, and if it just makes you feel guilty, why are you even listening to it? You know, it, it's weird how we are sometimes. Other thoughts? I think it's funny how they, well, Zedekiah lets Jeremiah go to this prison dungeon mire thing, essentially die, and then lifts him up, ex ex uh, has, what's his name? Eben Melech. Eben Melech. Have him, like, accept him to take him out. And then he goes back to him and be like, okay, I'm scared of getting tortured. He was just getting tortured in the mire. So, like, why would you let him out? Like, then ask him again, I'm scared to be tortured. If you let him die, then, I mean, he would be left to not to worry about a prophet. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, Zedekiah, for all of him wanting to hear the message, sure hasn't been much on protecting him from his enemies. You know, he does seem to give him over every time you turn around. Other thoughts? Twenty-four to twenty-eight. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Do not let anyone know about this conversation, or you may die. If the officials hear that I talk with you, and they come to you and say, Tell us what you said to the king and what the king said to you, do not hide it from us, or we will kill you. Then tell them, I was pleading with the king not to send me back to Jonathan's house to die there. All the officials 
did come to Jeremiah and question him, and he told them everything the king had ordered him to say. So they said no more to him, for no one had heard his conversation with the king. And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard until the day Jerusalem was captured. Zedekiah is just an interesting fellow. What's he worried about? That his officials might hear that he was asking one more time what's going to happen from that that treasonous Jeremiah guy. Yes! He is really worried about his advisors what, not liking him or rejecting him or does he think they're going to try to, you know, overthrow the government? I don't know. Uh, So, you know, he's really desperate that this interview with Jeremiah be off the record. Don't let anybody know what we talked about. And uh, but but there's going to be some people that knew that Jeremiah was with Zedekiah. So what's Jeremiah supposed to do if they ask about what they talked about? Yes. Tell them that I, I ask you, I ask the king not to go back to the dungeon. So we would call that kind of a cover story. You know, that's what he says. If they say, what did you talk about? Say that. And they do. The officials come to Jeremiah, they question him. You know, there are times when I think these officials are more suspicious of Zedekiah than they are interested in getting Jeremiah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really interesting the dynamic between the officials and Zedekiah. And so Jeremiah said what the king told him to say. I asked not to go back to Jonathan's dungeon. Nobody had overheard the conversation. So when he says that, they dropped, which protects Zedekiah. Again, it's interesting. I mean, Zedekiah assumes they're going to question Jeremiah, and sure enough, they do. So these these officials are, or these you know, um, advisors or whatever. They it seems to me like they're very suspicious of Zedekiah. They're they're seeking to maybe trap him or or you know do something with him. What about Jeremiah agreeing? And actually implementing this for Zedekiah, not telling the uh, officials about the main point of their conversation. Was that okay? We have other examples of similar cases like Rahab and the spies, or David when he faked madness, a kind of similar situation, I suppose. Um, I assume you're talking about like him lying, perhaps. Well, but we don't necessarily. Uh, uh, on top of that, we don't really know whether this may have been a p- petition that he put before the king in their conversation. It may just not have been recorded. Uh, Didn't God tell Samuel to tell them that he was going to sacrifice, and he was going to sacrifice when he got there, but he was really going to anoint the king? Yeah, that's 1 Samuel 16. We've got some uh, little complicated stories, several different things, where you're questioning, all right, first of all, is this a lie? Or if it's not exactly a lie, is it equivalent to a lie? Or is it okay? And, And I think you have that question on this. I mean, you could argue that this was just totally fabricated. You know, that Jeremiah never asked not to go back to Jonathan's guardhouse, Jonathan's dungeon, and so he's saying just invent something and tell him. Or you could more charitably say, well, Jeremiah did ask for that. We know earlier he had done that when he had an interview with Zedekiah, so that wouldn't be out of the question. So maybe he did actually say that, 
But that wasn't the main point. I mean, that's not why he was talking. I mean, he couldn't have gotten out to talk to Zedekiah if it hadn't been for Zedekiah calling him in. So it wasn't the main point of the conversation. It might have been something that was said in the conversation. So is it right for Jeremiah to say this and not tell the main point of the conversation? Chris? There doesn't appear to be any commentary on that part of it, whether God approved of that or not. He doesn't really address that. That's kind of like a lot of things with the life of Abraham, you know, lying about his wife as his sister and those things. There's really no commentary directly. It's just a historical record. So we have, you know, a question about whether or not we need to justify Jeremiah in that. Is it possible that Jeremiah just did the wrong thing here? We would see some even men of God in the Bible doing the wrong thing sometimes, right? They don't always do the right thing. Um, sometimes we do have a commentary. Sometimes we have a consequence that almost gives a commentary. Sometimes we kind of got to judge it based on you know other principles in the Bible. We don't have like something that says something directly. Um, so, this is a challenging case to know whether or not this was right or not. Um, I think you have some other parallel cases or possible parallels. You do have some cases in the Bible where it appears to me that some people lied, like Abraham, <laughs> saying Sarah was his sister. I mean, that was, she was related. But they weren't living together as brother and sister. And I think the rebukes from Pharaoh and Abimelech show that that was not the right thing for him to do. You have Rahab. She doesn't really just omit. She really does lie. She says they went that away. <laughs> and they were actually hiding in her house. So, I mean, you can't hardly argue that she just omitted there. She really lied. And it looks to me like we've got to say that lying itself is not the right thing. Though Rahab herself is commended for her faith. I mean, she, she was a good thing she had the spies, and she was a, you know, she'd come as a Gentile woman to trust in the Lord. Uh, I'm not sure we have a good way to justify the lie itself. It's not the main point, but, you know, it probably wasn't the right thing for her to do. You do have the question that Tasha brought up, where Samuel, in 1 Samuel 16, God says, I want you to go anoint David as king. That was a bit of a problem because there wasn't a vacancy in the office. Saul was still king. And if Saul finds out that he's going to anoint David, what's going to happen to him? He brings that up to God. God says, we'll take an animal and sacrifice it. And that way, people will think that's why you went. That way you've got something to say when people ask you what you did in Bethlehem. Well, now that one's a little more challenging in the sense that God told him to do it. It's a little hard to argue that God made a mistake, you know, or that God, you know, told him to do something that was wrong. So it does seem to me that in that case, we can say this, that it is not always required that we say everything. It's always required that we, what we say is true. I, I would suggest this parallel. What if somebody tells you something that's confidential? Somebody asks, what did you talk about? Well, at the very least, you shouldn't tell them the confidential thing. Now, maybe you tell them it's none of your business. Or maybe you tell them some things you talked about, you just don't tell them everything you talked about. I think either of those is a reasonable approach. So maybe the question here is whether or not they did talk about that. If, if Jeremiah really did say, please don't send me back to Jonathan's house, it may be that that was okay, based upon 1 Samuel 16. If he just invented it, if that wasn't really what was said, then it's hard to justify that. I would suggest that it looks to me like, in this part of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah is being presented as a positive example. I tend to want to think Jeremiah did ask that, and that he wasn't wrong in this. But I think it's a, you know, it's a question that you have to give some thought to, and, and we may not know the answer for sure about that. Um, it, it, the, the, the point in the section, I think, is more Zedekiah's paranoia 
that somebody's going to find out that he's been secretly interviewing Jeremiah, and that he actually seems to really... I mean, it's almost like Zedekiah does believe Jeremiah in the sense of intellectually he thinks he's got something to say from God, but he doesn't believe him in the sense of really committing himself to act on the message. Are we like that sometimes? Theoretically we believe, but practically we don't act like we do. So I think that's more the point of the story. But it is an interesting wrinkle here with what uh, Jeremiah is asked to say and what he evidently does say. Yes, Rachel. Do you think that Zedekiah's real motivation for telling Jeremiah to give this cover story instead of what really happened, do you think it was to protect his own reputation, or was it to protect Jeremiah? I think it's to protect himself, but that would be another question. Uh, I mean, he he could protect Jeremiah himself if he was acting like a king, but he seems to knuckle under all. So I think it's to protect himself, but who knows, Brian? Um, I was just gonna thought about adding just another example for sure. thought sure. about the sure. uh, half truths and stuff was the story of Elisha when Ben Hadad is sick and he sends a guy to go ask whether he'll get better. And Elisha says, "Go say that you will recover, but God's told me that he'll die." But I mean, you could maybe argue like he would have recovered from his sickness, but he's going to die because the messenger guy is going to kill him. Uh, right. So it wasn't necessarily a lie, but I just wanted to point yeah, out. Yeah, th- there, there are several like that. It's a good one, and, and that's, that's what I tend to think in that, that yes, he'll recover if the question's a sickness, but he's going to die because Hazel's going to kill him. But yeah, that's another one. There's several of those that... You know, we're to some extent we want to define what's lying and what's not, what's okay and what's not. And to some extent we recognize that in some cases God presents the weaknesses of heroes. You know, so we're not, I don't think we're always bound to just say, well, this guy's a good guy, everything he did was okay, just because the Bible presents it. But, but several of those are, are challenging for us and, and things to, you know, think about and, and try to study and try to understand, you know, how to look at them. Yeah, sir. Did you agree? I was thinking about it, but I'm not sure I'm going to agree with it. Okay. All right. Brian. Um, I find an interesting thing about this because, I mean, even if what you say is true, it's not really answering the question that the person wants to know. And you know that. So in a sense, it is lying. Just like the uh, instance with Abraham and his and Sarah, that she was his sister, but it was misleading in that way. And people suffered because of it. Uh, but then you have other instances, like Elisha, when it is misleading, but it's apparently okay. And so perhaps not so much, it's not so much a question of what you're doing as opposed to why you're doing it. Yes. Some of those things are just really challenging. I would suggest you might think about this. There are some things we say that are ultimately not saying the truth. When Abraham says, she's my sister, they didn't live together as brother and sister. They lived together as husband and wife. So, yes, there's a technical sense in which she was related. But that's really not true in terms of how they were living. They were living as husband and wife. That may be different than some of these others, some, some of which are, no, what's said is absolutely true. There's just something omitted. But you do have the question of what's deception and what isn't, and how to make that distinction. I would tell my 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 belief at the moment is what you say has to be exactly true, but it doesn't have to be the whole story. Certainly, we are not obligated to tell everything, and some things we're told not to tell. Now. The question might be, do you have to say, I'm not telling you everything? <laughs> um, I'm not so sure that you do. But there's, there's difficulties in trying to understand you know, some of those, uh, 
some of those things. And this is this is one of those those question marks. And like I say, I don't think that's the main point of the passage. I think the the mainer point of the passage is just seeing Zedekiah in his weakness. And, you know, in his unwillingness to really take a stand for Jeremiah. I mean, think about how easy it is for us to want to hide our faith in God. You know, we kind of like to know what God says. We kind of like to be close to him, but we don't want people to find out. You know, remember those in John 12 that were secret disciples? They, they believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him because they didn't want to get ex-synagogued. And, uh, you know, Joseph Arimathea was one of those. He had been a secret disciple. He really believed in Jesus, but he sure didn't want anybody to know about it. Sometimes we're like that. You know, don't let anybody find out I really wanted to listen to the preaching of the gospel, you know, or whatever. That's really a lack of, um, you know, willingness to stand up for the Lord. Yes? This is my original question, too. In the New Testament, I usually look at the people and you like the good people, the Christians, as what they did was always right. But then, like, I was sitting in Samson, I was like, oh, you can't do that with him, at least, in the Old Testament. Is it right to be able to assume that they always do everything right in the New Testament? Peter didn't do everything right in the New Testament, certainly. Well, I mean, unless it says he was wrong. I believe that there are some things that are presented as examples throughout the Bible that are seen as positive things that should be seen as good examples. I think, you know, you see references made in the New Testament positively sometimes to Old Testament characters, and they're presented as examples for us. You see several of those in several different passages. So it's true that there are good examples and good models in the Bible. Um, but it doesn't mean that everything presented in the Bible is a good example. Some of them are clearly bad examples. And it doesn't necessarily mean that a good person always was a good example. How do you tell when it's a good example and a bad one? That's the challenge, I think. I think by context, by evaluating their actions based upon the standard, I think Samson, there's hardly any... I, would, I am not sure that you could really strongly argue that there was any good example in Samson's life. I can't think of one thing that I would say is, is unquestionably positive in his life. Maybe there is. Do what? Keep praying. Keep praying, yeah. Especially yeah. praying. Such as it was. Do what? One. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he... Samson won. But he prayed for himself, you know. He didn't seem to pray much for God's agenda. So, yeah. Uh, so, I think we've got to be thoughtful in each case. Paul would say things in the New Testament like, follow my example, imitate me. So I think Paul is, should be seen as positive. Um, even he says, as we have followed Christ. That's right. So, surely doesn't mean that there's any person in anywhere in the Bible other than Jesus that always did the right thing. There may be some that the things they did wrong aren't told. <laughs> so, and those are challenging questions. Uh, I mean, I think that... All of these things make us kind of stop and think. And I would say, in general, I think we do need to evaluate each situation. And it was that really right or not? Because you don't always have some explicit statement saying, and that was the wrong thing to do. Other thoughts or questions? Good, good discussion. A funny example um, that I know of, of a person who think, thought that Paul did something wrong, I guess, was when he blinded that prophet. Elamus, yeah. Elamus, yeah. Um, he thought that, like, that was, like, Paul, like, flying off the handle. Like, he was a new Christian, and he really shouldn't have done that, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, and it looks to me like, in the context, he did the right thing, but you can see why somebody might argue that. That was kind of extreme, but... Uh, Chris? I mean, it'd be appropriate just to mention in Hebrews, it talks about Samson. You know, so I think we, a lot of people, I think, look at that and say, oh, there's Samson mentioned among all these great people. 
therefore he was perfect. And we go back and try to make that story somehow right because of that. Uh, you know, even the mention of that. So I think we can look carefully at Hebrews and say, by faith he did something. So there may have been one action, and that was when he called upon God to do something great or whatever. So I think he fits there because that's specifically what it says. That is a real challenge to us because often we do backread the story of Samson or even Jephthah based upon that reference, then what they did must have been good. I would prefer looking at Hebrews 11 more carefully and saying at that point in Hebrews 11, he's not so much talking about the character of the man as he's talking about great things that were done by God, not great men of God. But there's a lot of debate about that too. Yes, Brian. I would also throw this out that it may not be about what they did, but how strong their faith was. Because I don't think any of us would believe that Samson could have done all of those things, whether for good reasons or bad, if he didn't have faith that God would allow him to do it. Perhaps so, and then we may come back to the question of faith in some ways, but yes, that's that's an interesting point. There's a lot of things that we just have to study on and and look at carefully. Sometimes we tend to come up with very quick answers. And you go back and study, and it's like, okay, we need to analyze these things a little bit more carefully. But it's certainly not every character in the Bible does everything right. (laughs) And not even every somewhat positive character does everything right. Other thoughts? All right, well, that's the... Chris? One thing, one, one thing that we have to realize here that I think that we realize is that God is using people who are imperfect. And that's what makes the story of the Bible real for us to realize that you know these weren't perfect people and there are some more perfect and some less perfect that makes the story come alive. And, I mean, ultimately... God is revered throughout the story, and that's kind of what makes it... I think that's how we can apply it much more better. Good point. I agree. Right. Uh, Another thing is, what is our motivation in asking these questions? Why do we want to know whether it's okay to lie? Well, (laughs) I mean... Part of it is... I mean, I think we do want to try to understand... What does God want us to do and what does he not want us to do? Now, if we're trying to just justify something, that's bad. If we're trying to say, okay, I'd like to understand what God expects, then that's appropriate. All right, well, that's the end of chapter 38. Why don't we take a break for a minute, and then we'll come back and work on 39.